Welcome into Real Kipper and Born. This is the national edition of our show. We are live on Sportsnet, Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver, and Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. Nick Kiprios, Justin Bourne, Sammy McKee along for the next hour. In a few minutes, we'll be joined by the 15th winningest coach in NHL history, Claude Julian. Talk about Todd McClellan getting let go and what uh, the challenges there are for Jim Hiller, mm-hmm. who will take over. And word is, uh, our Elliot Friedman just reporting that uh, DJ Smith sounds like he'll be going in there and helping out the LA Kings. So we await uh, Claude Julian. Also later in the show, uh, Ian Mendez has uh, agreed to join us. We weren't sure if he was going to make it or not, but uh, it sounds like he'll join us. And he may have uh, taken in the proceedings in London, Ontario. He did. Where there was an update. Thank you for clarifying that, Sammy. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the 2018 World Junior case where we heard from the London Police Service announcing the charges against members of the Canada's uh, 2018 team. Dylan Dubé, one count of sexual assault. Cal Foote, one count of sexual assault. Alex Formington, one count of sexual assault. Carter Hart one count of sexual assault, and Michael McLeod, two counts of sexual assault. London police also apologized for their delay in the sexual assault, uh, assault charges against former uh, World Junior players as well. So we'll get an update from Ian Mendez later on in the show. Uh, in the meantime, guys, uh, very successful World Juniors. Uh, of I'll course, let me just get this in. Uh, this hour of Real Kipper and Born brought to you by as Always bet 365. So give us uh, your overall thoughts, JB, on, on what the city of Toronto was able to pull off this weekend. Mm-hmm. Oh, just and there, one more thing that I wanted to add about that story is that Hockey Canada put out a statement earlier this hour saying that all the players from that team remain suspended from international competitions under its umbrella. Next year's Four Nation Faceoff is not part of this as it's an NHL, NHL, PA event. So there's more there with that. So we can get into that with Ian as well at the bottom of the hour. Sounds good. Um, yeah, well, so we'll get more into that. The All-Star Weekend, um, you know, a tremendous success, Kip. Uh, really felt like, um, you know, we got to see the best of the, the players. We, we got genuine effort. All mm-hmm. it took was a million-dollar bribe. But, you know, you really got the best out of the guys. And that's what we were here to see, sort of a return to hockey, a return to what makes this game great. You know, I took my seven-year-old son to the skills contest on the Friday night, stuffed him full of cotton candy and popcorn and all that sort of stuff, and we just had a great time. I, I, it was nice to feel good about hockey for the weekend, wasn't it? Like, a, we haven't had, like, a real celebration of the game like this weekend felt like, and everything went, went as smooth as it could have be. So, big uh, win for the city of Toronto and the NHL. Free plug here, but shout-out to Arena Popcorn. Yeah, real good. Oh, buddy. Yeah. I mucked two bags of that in the press box when I was watching. <laughs> Better than normal? Or low, yeah. low cal, eh? It's the... just something about it. I don't know. It's arena popcorn. It's just really good. It's real. I love it. And shout popcorn. out to the people who clean the seats because I can tell you oh, all the kids around me. Oh, oh boy. Oh, oh you know, charges. Oh, sorry. Yeah, covered in goop. <laughs> the, the big difference, of course, for me uh, was the effort that the players put mm-hmm. in to this. And it started uh, with the skills competition. Uh, Let's face it, they were smart this time. They actually went to the guys that do it. Yeah. And it was led by Connor McDavid Mm -hmm. in revamping the skills competition. You know, every once in a while, we're here at Sportsnet over my years, and I've probably been a part of like three or four 
desks mm-hmm. that they've built for us. Yeah. And it's like every time they do it, I come on it and I'm like, oh, this, this this doesn't work and this, this is no good here. And it's like you Ask guys, the people. you guys built a desk <laughs> and you never once went to the people that actually have to use it. What do you think of this desk? It's fine. <laughs> There'd be a ton I'd like to fix on it. Trust me. But great desk. Great desk. Same thing with the NHL. Like yeah. get rid of the people in the in your office who thought that they could figure it it's out. It's a really good point. When you never played, you never did yeah. a thing within the game. Get rid of those people and go go to the chefs in the kitchen. I was most cynical of their ability to put together an obstacle course. That would be interesting, entertaining, fair hockey, and they nailed it. I thought it was a 45-second shift if you did it perfectly, like a really good thing. And it's hard. It's a real challenge. That separated NHL All-Stars from Sammy, no offense, but like your crew, if you went out and tried to execute that with any sort of efficiency. You think I would take offense to that? (laughs) No, it's like, it, it, sucked, looks, it looks manageable, right? But no, like, yeah. the way they put four it and a half the minutes, lit up, uh, <laughs> be Kucherov just yeah, dragging your yeah. tongue by the, the end of it. The booze would have been coming out yeah. from Yvonne. Here's my other takeaway from this weekend. It took you maybe, I don't know, eight, ten years to finally get this all-star thing somewhat right. Yeah. And now next year you don't go to it. Yeah, we're not going to yeah. have it. Four Nations face-off right? instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just can't believe it took gone. so long for that shootout to come into play because that was awesome. Yeah. That was so fun to watch. Yep, love it. All right, let's welcome in Claude Julian, 15th winniest coach in NHL history. Claude, thanks for joining us, pal. And uh, how was your NHL All-Star weekend? Uh, did you did you take some of it in? Were, did you give yourself a break? You've been a part of a few in the past. What were your thoughts? Well, I have to be honest here. I saw part of it. I didn't watch all of it. Uh, obviously, had some things going on this past weekend, but uh, watched the final game of the three-on-three, watched a little bit of the uh, uh, skill competition, but uh, can't say uh, I was glued to the TV. <laughs> you know, it's for my seven-year-old son. It's not for actual NHL All-Star coaches, so you're fine. We'll give you a pass on that, Claude. Um, All right, appreciate it, Justin. (laughs) So there's lots going on in the actual NHL uh, over the break. Um, And before that, too, that we can get to with you. And and one of the things I wanted to ask you about is this Oilers winning streak that's going on. You yourself have coached, I believe, a 12-game winning streak. Just tell us about how you try to keep that sort of thing moving along when everything is going right for a team. Well, it's amazing when those kind of things happen. First of all, you can feel the confidence in your group and you're going into every game and, uh, you know, you got that confidence that you're going to win that game. As a coach, you try and keep the guys, I guess, uh, grounded and uh, make them understand that, uh, you know, it's not going to be easy to keep moving forward. But the other thing you notice in those winning streaks is that, you know, we kept winning at the end, but yet I don't think we were playing our best hockey and the confidence of winning was there. But eventually it caught up to us. And sometimes, you know, you, you can win the, the last three or four games where you probably maybe didn't deserve to win or, or even, you know, uh, get a point out of, uh, of some of those games. But somehow, because things were going well, you managed to do that. The biggest thing is how do you deal with it when it does end? Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest challenge because a lot of times when it does end, uh, it's caught up to you. Some of those bad habits and, you know, when things are going so easily, 
you start cheating in areas because you know you can and you can get away with it. But uh, it's just about, uh, you know, having a pulse, uh, having your finger on, on things as you go through that streak to make sure that we don't get complacent. And that was, for me, the biggest thing. Uh, it was great to win. It was, I mean, it was important in the standings. It was important for uh, us moving forward. But at the same time, you always wondered, you know, what's going to happen when it does end. And uh, you always hope that you're still, uh, I guess, focusing on uh on doing the right things and that you haven't slipped too much and gotten out of your, uh, I guess, out of your structure so that it takes another five, six games to, to find your game again. This is a bit of a, a two-part question for you, Claude, uh, regarding the winning streak in Edmonton and uh, as they go for their 17th consecutive win and what maybe Chris Knobloch will go through filling out his next lineup card or what you thought of going into a win streak? Is it as simple as don't tr- don't change a winning lineup? They've got Corey Perry there. He's waiting to get into a game. Would you ever think for one second to put Corey Perry in in that situation or anyone else? Well, I know everybody would think differently, and uh, that, that goes on the individual. And you're asking me the question, the Kipper. I'm going to tell you if I think it's going to help the team uh, be better, or if that's what the team needs, I would make that change. Uh, and that's that's my opinion because you know the other is just about superstition. You know, you say, well, am I going to wreck uh, uh, something that's going well? And uh, I don't think it's one player that's going to dictate that. And at the end of the day, you know, you have to make decisions, I guess, with your brain and not with your emotions, right? So you make the right decision for the situation. And in answering that question, I wouldn't hesitate to wow. make that move. And uh, that, that's the way I would handle it. So when you see the guys, not just the winning street teams, but everyone goes away for a little bit, has a break. You know, everyone goes to the Dominican Republic or wherever they go and they, they drink a bunch of cervezas. Then they come back. Are you a bag skate the guys when they come back? How do you transition back into the second half of the season with playoffs on the mind? Well, I have always thought that, especially in this day and age, that the athletes are well-conditioned athletes, and they may go out there and do that kind of stuff. I would say 99% of them, uh, while you know, having a few drinks and relaxing, which is what they should do mm-hmm. and what they need to do, uh, there's no doubt they're, they're probably uh, working out uh, as well. There's uh, Most of the places they go to, they have gyms there, so they're probably riding a bike and doing a little bit of exercise on that same day. But I don't think anybody shuts her down where – they don't do an ounce of exercise while they're on their break. And uh, and I think the mental part of it is so important for them to go out there and, and relax and have a few drinks and enjoy themselves. It's probably uh, what's going to rejuvenate them when they come back. One, one firing that I think caught a little bit of us off guard. And yeah, you, sometimes you hear rumblings that a, a coach may be uh, in, in trouble here and there. But this one kind of surprised me, and that was Todd McClellan in L.A., and just in, in terms of not being able to kind of turn around that tremendous uh, or not turn around their, their losing after that tremendous start uh, that they had, especially on the road with all those consecutive wins. Um, just in terms of coaches trying to hold on and I don't know, maybe should they have given them a chance coming out of the break? Or, I mean, in your opinion, do you think that, uh, you, you know, you were equally as surprised at, at that move? I think I, I was surprised, uh, Kipper. Uh, 
you know, when I when I read it, uh, I know that Todd is a great coach, and uh, the one thing he's done with that team through the kind of the rebuild is he put some structure in there, which gave them some success, and uh, they just happened to go through a you know a losing streak, and, and I don't know what the thinking is with the upper management whether they felt it really uh, needed a new voice or whether you know. Uh, the pressure of, of continuing to be a real competitive and winning team uh, dictated that decision. But I was surprised. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, Todd would have turned that thing around. He's, he's such a good coach and uh, I think a well-respected coach as well. But it, again, you know, uh, we answer these questions. We don't know everything that's going on behind those closed doors. And, uh, and uh, they made that decision. But uh, from my end of it, uh, I was surprised when I first read it. You're right. We don't know. But here's what we do know, Claude, is that uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois was not at a level that uh, Todd McClellan needed him to be. And just in terms of of your coaching throughout your career, was there instances where you just knew you had one guy, one horse that you needed and you couldn't get him going? Just in terms of how frustrating is that for a coach? Oh, it is. And definitely frustrating and you're right that does happen at times where that one player that can make a difference uh, isn't going at the time and uh, there's been times where coaches have paid the price and I think when I look at Pierre-Luc Dubois I mean I had him at the world championships a few years ago and he was arguably our best forward at that tournament so I know what he's capable of and I know how good a player he can be uh, but you know why aren't things going well for him right now uh, I wish I had that answer. I mean, I haven't watched him close enough, but uh, definitely he's a he's a much better player than what he's shown so far. And uh, and as you mentioned, uh, there's no doubt that uh, probably weighed in on part of the decision to let Todd go. Uh, listen, I, I don't want to have you. you know, I don't want. I'm not asking you to throw anyone under the bus, but anyone in particular in your coaching career where you had to try different things, including perhaps a fourth line visit or a healthy scratch before you got a, a big guy going again. Well, the, you know, the one thing, and I'll be honest with you, Kipper, is the one thing I can tell you is some of the times I've been let go, uh, I wish uh, a player or two had been better. And, you know, at the same time, it, it doesn't mean that they were purposely trying to be bad. They just weren't good enough. And you've tried to get them going. And like you said, you at times you've had to make them healthy scratches. And I've done that with players where it's worked out well, you've made them healthy scratch and, you know, get a burr under their, you know what, and, and all of a sudden they come out the next game and uh, and they want to prove you wrong and nothing better for a coach than have a player prove you wrong. That's what you want to see and you want to see the uh, the commitment, the, the character that that player has and when he does that, it uh, bodes well. It's uh, certainly not an insult to the coach. On the contrary, it means the coach, you know, got to him and was able to make him turn it around, but for some players, like you said, you, you know, you keep hanging on. And uh, some of those players are players that you, you know, really can't, uh, I guess, sit out uh, that easily. And all you can do is hope that they can turn it around. And then when they don't and then uh, you get let go, you, you do. You question yourself, say, what if that guy, you know, had been playing the way he can? Would I still be there? Those are all uh, questions we go through after uh, you've been terminated. Well, and I can't help but listen to this and think about what's happened in Edmonton with, like, Skinner and McDavid, what happened there for Knobloch. I can't help but think about the Vancouver Canucks and the seasons that Talkett has, has gotten out of Besser and Pedersen and Miller and those guys. You know, I used to sort of believe that a coach could only change a roster's success 
I don't know, five or six wins or five or six losses. Like, you can't put the best guy in the world on San Jose's bench right now and make them a playoff team. You just can't. How many wins and losses is it reasonable to think a coach can affect a roster over the course of a season? Well, I, I really think it depends on the situation, Justin. Yeah. I mean, there, there's some teams like I, I, I've watched and, then you know, like, again, I'm not the guy to throw anybody under the bus, but I'll watch and say, boy, if that team had a little bit of structure, you know, uh, it probably would have, uh, it probably would have five, six, maybe seven more wins yeah. and others. It's like, well, you know what, uh, for example, I use LA and, you know, with Todd, let's say Todd had stayed, maybe he would have got that team to winning again, which is what this new coach might be able to do for them. So I really think it depends on the situation. Some teams you really feel it's the structure. And, and when you look at the, uh, I guess the, their lineup, you say they're good enough to be, better than they are and I think it's just a matter of they probably need to play a little differently uh and then others it's just like hey they, they're going through a, a slump like I always thought Edmonton uh, had a great team which is what they're showing now they're a very good team that's in the playoffs and they should have never been in the position they were at the beginning of the year now is that because of a new coach or is that just because they 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 caught fire and and sometimes as coaches we are the people that pay the price but it's also sometimes a spark for teams to kind of wake up and say, we got to do something about it. So, you know, it's easy to point the finger at upper management and it's easy for us to kind of defend ourselves. But those are those are part of the business. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Claude, we're going to see Patrick Waugh behind the bench for the New York Islanders tonight against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, we remember him as a head coach with Colorado, as this fiery guy smashing his fist against the glass, sometimes trying to get to another coach. Uh, then he goes away for a little while and then coaches the kids to the point where uh, he brings up a, a national championship uh, with the Ramparts. Now he's back again. At, at this point of his life or, or his age or whatever you want to call it, how much different do you think we're going to see Patrick Waugh behind an NHL bench now and, and uh, you know the, his chances of having real success again? Well, I think you're going to see a difference in him, uh, Kipper, because I think, you know, I read some of the things, quotes he said, and, uh, you know, when he was in Colorado, uh, Patrick was always a guy that, you know, felt like he wanted control of almost everything. And I think we remember when he was in Colorado, you know, he really wanted to be involved in trades and the, in whatever, the, the roster decisions and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, at one point, I think he realized it cost him. And uh, he got pushed out. Uh, his comments as of late was that he's learned a lot from his past experience. Uh, and I think uh, when it comes to, uh, I guess, acting that way, he won't have a choice with Lou. He's going to have to worry about <laughs> coaching and not worry about trades and then player movements and all that stuff. His job will be just to coach. So uh, I think he got himself in, in, a, in a good organization to I guess to to solidify what he said lately in the in the media about uh, you know learning and uh, being a better uh, coach and worrying about doing what he has to do as a coach versus uh, trying to control everything that's around him. Do you think it's important to have people in the room who've won Stanley Cups? Like if you look at the Islanders, the only guy who's won a cup there is Robert Bortuzzo. You know, like do you think Patrick, having been through that and lifted the cup, has real value to a room that's never been been there before? Uh, sure it does. It, you know, any, anytime you can get somebody who's won a cup and can share some of the things they went through to win the cup is great. 
you know, the year we won, we had Mark Recchi in our room, and I remember him stepping up and, and speaking to the team uh, after I just finished talking. Uh, he said, Coach, can I add something? And uh, that was after we lost our first two games to Montreal at home. And we were going to Montreal for the next for game three and four. And he spoke up and, you know, had some really good things to say and, and really helped, you know, solidify the message. So guys respect those kind of guys. You know, Corey Perry, when we had him in Montreal, you know, uh, the, the year that the, they went to the finals, uh, same thing. You know, he just brought some uh, good advice, calming uh, influence in the dress room at times. And those kind of guys can really, really help uh, hockey teams as you go along. So, Never hurts to have guys that know how to win. Claude, Claude uh, really appreciate your time for doing this, man. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for helping us out today. Well, love your show, guys. Keep it up, and uh, thanks for having me on there. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Claude Julian, NHL top fifteen winning, winningest coach. Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly an option for teams out there as they consider uh, their next guy. We, when I was with the Marlies, we had Ben Smith, who was on the Chicago Blackhawks and won the Stanley Cup. And you go down to the American League and you got a guy who's won the Stanley Cup in your dressing room. It's crazy, you know, just to like have someone be, you know, we were down 2-1 in a series and have him stand up and be like, when we were down on route to winning an actual NHL Cup and everyone is just like laser focused listening. Like, what do you got? It's it's a pretty cool thing. The year we won in New York. like, all the Oilers, the, the Rangers, the Rangers <laughs> went from the like the Rangers <laughs> went from none to like thirty yeah. Stanley Cup rings in the room. I, what he said there when you asked him about when you try to get him to bury a player, which I loved, but uh, I tried. Hey, mm-hmm. good, good work. But he said something interesting where it's just like how frustrating that must be when you're a coach and a guy is just he's just not good enough, right? And you're like, you can do whatever you want, you can coach him as hard as you can, but he's just. Not good Imagine enough. when it's a goalie and you yeah. don't even know what to tell them to yeah, do. It's like, like usually the player you can see it, but as a coach, it's harder to be like, "Here's listen, what's up." They're not stupid guys behind the bench. Like no. you've got your your seat fillers, guys that can go out there and and hold their own while the big boys rest. Yeah, but you're gonna live and die by three, four, five guys, and that's not to take away from 15 on the roster because we know how you win Stanley Cups. Mm-hmm. But those guys have to be your best leaders on and off the ice. They, they, they set the tone. You lose one of them and you only have three. One gets hurt, you're down to two. Now you're talking about the difference of this guy keeping his job or, or losing it. Well, and that's why I think it's so now anyway, I don't know how much it was when you played, but like, that player, those players come into the coach's office quite a bit. And the way you talked about McDavid putting his, you know, his two cents into the skills contest, they have some input on what happens around there. And right or wrong, they certainly have more power than they used to be about what happens within a team. And there's a fine line between where you think you're going to keep them or lose them, mm-hmm. right? And it's, I don't believe, Claude touched on this, but I, I don't believe for one second anyone quits on a coach they may quit on his message or they may stop believing in uh, the things that he's trying to say but they won't quit they just uh your own careers to find different ways to to go out there and and try to perform unfortunately if you stop believing in your coach that means you stop believing in a lot of other things and that's when it truly derails yeah and derails for you personally too which why a lot of guys even they don't like their coach you just don't know how to not try right Unless you're Kucherov. (laughs) Game time? Do it.
All right, it's game time presented by Bet365. Visit the app for latest odds and find out why it's never ordinary. Bet365 must be 19 plus, Ontario only. Please play responsibly. Uh, only two games on tonight. Uh, two pretty good ones, actually. Uh, Islanders in Toronto, obviously, and it is the Avalanche at Madison Square Garden to take on the Rangers, which is also a really good matchup. Uh, just because uh, we were talking about all those factors with the Leafs where they had all their best players were gallivanting all weekend, let's they just say that. But, I mean, to their credit, they should do, gallivant. doing a lot of, you know, media availabilities, talking to everybody. Like, they were involved no in everything. No one saying they're morally wrong for no, having gallivanted, no, like but the gallivanting did occur. Very yes. dangerous word. <laughs> the gallivant? Yes. And so... I it can think, mean a lot of things. I think there's some... I think it does. I think there's some value on the New York Islanders tonight as plus 130 underdogs on uh, against the Leafs. They need the game really badly. Leafs, they need games, but they don't need it as badly as the Islanders do. Like I said, with the, the G word that Kipper doesn't like. <laughs> some definite value there, and just for some fun, just to test the Leafs theory, Pierre Engvall is plus 400 to score a goal tonight. <laughs> and that would really test this theory. Uh, so have a look at that one. And the... Colorado Avalanche and the New York Rangers, both teams minus 110, even money pretty much on both sides of it. They don't really know who's going to win that one. I don't yeah. either. Love watching, love watching McKinnon. Great flick back option tonight. So give me the Avalanche because I like cheering for McKinnon. Yeah. He'll be featured prominently at the Four Nations Cup or whatever it's called next yes, year for will. Canada. So there you go. I have a point from Nyes and Tavares tonight. Two, mm. two rested guys. What word, do you want to close it out? Yeah, let me close it. Or you had something else? No. Let me close no. it out. All right, uh, that was game time. Presented by Bet365. Visit the app for latest odds and find out why it's never ordinary at Bet365. Must be 19 plus. Ontario only. Please play it responsibly. What word would you prefer to gallivanting? My search for a synonym was very literal. Nomadic, roaming, wandering. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I like to use um, exploratory. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a good one? Yeah. Also could mean a lot of things. Very good. All right, let's hit the break. All right. All right, let's take a break. Uh, I did want to talk a little bit about this Four Nations that they announced on Friday. Great. We'll talk about it at the end on the other side of the break. All right. Wow, jeez. Wow. I know. You're very... Hey, you, want me to produ- you want me to produce? I'm That's... producing. You are producing, Sammy. <laughs> I got no problems with that, especially with my voice today. Yeah. All right, more Real Kipper and Born after the break. <laughs> Breaking down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nick Kiprios, Justin Bourne, Sammy McKee. All right, let's welcome in uh, senior writer for The Athletic, Ian Mendez, who uh, is kind enough to join in. Busy day for Ian, who I believe was in London, Ontario, for London Police Service press conference, uh, talking about the investigation and the charges to the 2018 World Junior team, five players. Ian, thanks for joining us. How are you? Hey guys, uh, yeah, happy happy to join you. Wish it was under yeah. you know, better better circumstances, but, uh, but yeah. certainly an, an important story to, to to cover today. For sure, I'm going to start this off by being real quick on my first question. And like, w- what did we learn today? 
Oh boy. You know, Kipper, like it, you know, I think a lot of us were wondering how forthcoming would the London police department be because, you know, there's been a lot of public interest in this case for the better part of two years, right. Where I think a lot of people were wondering, would we finally get, I think the, the question that most of your listeners uh, have was why did you reopen the investigation in 2022? If you investigated this alleged sexual assault in 2018, closed it in February of 2019, what changed in the three years after that to force you to reopen it? I, that was a very basic question, one that I think we were hoping would get answered. And I'll tell you, we did not learn the answer to that today. And I, and I think um, that was obviously shrouded in the fact that they're saying, look, there's an active investigation here. We can't, if we tell you stuff, it could compromise the impending legal proceedings. So it, you know, we didn't learn a ton, but, but I'll tell you the, the most interesting moment for me or one of them was the police chief here in London issuing an apology basically Mm -hmm. saying, we are sorry. It took this long. This shouldn't take this long. So it's, it was a really odd sort of disconnect where, you know, you're apologizing, but you're not telling us the reason why you're apologizing because you didn't and couldn't shed light onto uh, or shed light, sorry, onto why this investigation was reopened in, in 2022. Yeah, certainly that was an interesting note, Ian. I, I guess the next question in the theme of Kipper keeping it short here is what's next? What, what is the next sort of date on the timeline here? And, and what would that mean for the players and teams? Yeah, so if you're looking at a calendar, you would take a pen out and you would circle April the 30th, which is a Tuesday. And that is the next court date that is is listed on the docket for this this, uh, legal proceeding. So what happened today uh, was the Crown, which is representing the uh, the victim in this case, uh, they basically alerted the five defense lawyers, we are going to send via courier today all of our evidence because you know the way it works in in canada and and, in most legal systems in the western world if you're charged with a crime you as the accused have a right to know what do you have against me what are you talking about where like you can't like so they're going to send and this is kind of you know part of discovery you're going to send to them via uh courier today uh and 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 the way that the crown attorney described it uh, guys was we have significant paper and audio evidence and they're sending that over so now the defense the five lawyers they'll have roughly 12 weeks okay to comb over all of this information and maybe they want to do their own uh investigation and and talk to some people and, and and corroborate some stuff or dismiss some stuff whatever it is but you have 12 weeks now and the next time we all get together is april the 30th and that's the next hearing. That's not the trial. That's just kind of the next hearing. And, and, and we'll find out what the next process is. But in terms of dates and things to monitor, that's the next date that, uh, that I guess we're, we're keeping an eye on. Ian, the general feeling is that this could take a year and a half, two years. Was that still the feeling out of London today that uh, by the time this is said and done, we could be looking at something that could last as uh, long as 24 months? Yeah, like, so the way it works, like, it, it, once this gets kind of escalated and, and, and kind of a trial date is set, in Canada, 
you have 30 months when it gets to kind of the criminal side of things. Uh, you have 30 months to have your trial completed. But that includes like the, the, the clock kind of started when these players were officially booked in a couple of weeks ago. So you have 30 months from January of 2024 to have this all done. And when you talk to lawyers in London, what they'll tell you is, and it partially it's a, it's a, a function of the pandemic and kind of a back, uh, kind of a clogged legal system is cases are taking anywhere from, you know, 16 to 20 months sometimes to kind of play itself out. So if we're following that timeline, you know, I, people tell me that th- this one has a little bit more, not a little bit, a lot more interest in it, that they might be able to uh, expedite matters and maybe they'll fast track it a little bit. But even if they do that, you're probably looking at a trial in the 2025. So um, there's significant public interest in this and, and in, in how this plays out. I'd be shocked if they ever got to the point where they just let it lapse in the 30 months ago. I don't think that'll happen. But I, I do think that this is going to play out into, into 2025 in terms of when we might actually see the players, for example, show up in court. Like So today, when they had a hearing, everybody's just simply represented by their lawyer. Like The, the players themselves aren't compelled to be physically on site or on, in this case, on a Zoom call. When you get to an actual trial, that's going to change. But in all those hearings up until then, uh, their lawyers can just uh, kind of appear on their behalf. Ian, do we think we've heard the last of player names from this? You know, the uh, we've seen five players get charged, but we have heard that eight players were involved or around. I know that there was some calling for other witnesses to help uh, today. What, what are your thoughts on is it just sort of going to end with these five guys? Well, I think it's really interesting to note, uh, Justin, that, uh, you know, Hockey Canada has, you know, released a statement again this afternoon, and they were very unequivocal and very clear that all of the members of the 2018 team remain suspended from participating in Hockey Canada activities. So think about the World Championships, for example, coming up in the spring. For now, anybody on that team, you can't play for Team Canada. And and I think what the one thing we learned here is, uh, you know, they had a case here in 2019 that they closed and then they reopened three years later and, and five players subsequently got charged. It would be awfully naive, I think, of everybody to suggest that, well, it's case closed. They've got, like, if we've learned anything, this is a fluid, albeit process that's moving at a glacial pace, a fluid situation. So um, I think it's important, though, to presume that everybody... Uh, I mean, our whole legal system is, is you know, uh, pinned on the fact that innocent and prove, uh, until proven guilty. And I think we need to make sure that we hammer home that none of these charges have been tested in court. All five players that, that whose names have been attached to this uh, have not been found guilty of anything, and they're going to fight this. But it doesn't mean that the other players in the roster are completely exonerated because, uh, like I said, Hockey Canada is making sure they're waiting until this process plays itself out before they feel comfortable clearing clearing everybody. Ian, I think it was one of the last questions, and it didn't get through, but someone asked about uh, uh, the, the National Hockey League in terms of their investigation, and if they, I don't know how it was thrown out, that if they worked together or they shared any information. Was there any sense at all that you got out of London that they've been alone on this uh, without any any inclusion of from from the NHL at all 
You know what, Kipper? Like, yeah, that was one of the last questions, and this the uh, the sergeant who who answered it. Basically, I think the word she used was complex, like having the NHL and Hockey Canada run sort of concurrent or simultaneous investigations. She just used the word. It made it a little bit more complex. And it didn't, I mean, she didn't use the word collaborate. She didn't use the word cooperate. So I would imagine if you're a police department and you're trying to run an investigation and two other outside entities who you know you you're not beholden to are running similar investigations you're going to feel like okay like are we exhausting witnesses are we exhausting resources so uh i don't there's a level of of collaboration there at least it didn't didn't sound like it and and i think the london police department looks at this and says okay it, this is our jurisdiction this is what matters like we hold ourselves to a a higher degree uh, of of um, of justice than the National Hockey League or Hockey Canada does, and our ruling is the only ruling that matters, quite frankly. So I, I think they probably uh, took that approach. But again, I think there's just a lot of questions, guys, about the London Police Department, their handling of this, and I don't think there were they, they were satisfactory answers given. Although they kept saying we just can't give those answers because of the nature of of the impending legal uh, proceedings. So I'm curious then what you thought of Gary Bettman's answers. And if you got any more out of that, that presser, the one thing I'll just note is, you know, you mentioned that those guys are not eligible for Hockey Canada, as they noted. Um, but they did say, Bill Daly said, I believe in that presser, that they would be eligible for the Four Nations face-off. Well, they would at least make that decision, right? That's a separate thing than Hockey Canada. Other than that, how did you feel that Bettman, Daly, and them answered the questions necessary on their, at their press conference? Yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, if you're Gary Bettman, you would say to yourself, these alleged acts happened before these players entered my league. Um, they're being investigated by the police. I mean, what do you want me to do? Like, if I'm, if I'm sitting in Gary Bettman's shoes, I, I, that's, and, and now, the way Gary explained it was, look, they're all on leave. Like, we, I don't have to do anything, mm-hmm. like, right? Like, his, 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 the big takeaway I had from Gary was like, well, I don't have anything to do because – a, they're all on leave, and B, which I thought was really interesting, is he brought up the fact that all of them are pending free agents, albeit they might be restricted free agents, but they're all free agents, which was kind of code for, you know, if you don't sign them, we don't have to suspend them. Kind of, you know, was sort of the read between the lines there. And I think if I'm listening to Batman, he's like, well, we don't have to do anything, and if these players are found not guilty – then we can have the conversation of, you know, they can, they can sign and they can move on. But if they're found, you know, guilty of these charges, one, two, three, four, or five of these players are found guilty, then we can have a conversation about uh, what happens. And, and remember, Gary Bettman, though, he does have broad, broad, almost discretionary powers to still act. And he, like, even if the players are found not guilty, Batman could say, you know, this was conduct unbecoming of a National Hockey League player, and even though it didn't rise to the level of, uh, you know, criminal, uh, uh, you know, actions or wrongdoing, it, it went against what we lo- think is what uh, a, a hockey player should act like, and you're going to be suspended for eight games or 20. I, you know, he has that in his back pocket. But in listening to him, it sure sounded like he was like, you know what? this isn't an issue I have to deal with because they've all been handled by their individual teams. They're all on leave. 
and they're all free agents. So until we get to a point where they're active players and they're looking to play, then we'll cross that bridge. But he doesn't. He, it sure didn't sound like that. That bridge was going to be crossed anytime soon. Ian, we know it's been a long day for you, uh, including uh, covering live the 45-minute news conference, but we sure appreciate your time joining us today, man. Thanks. Oh, of course. Anytime for you, too. Thanks. uh, Thanks, thanks, Ian. Appreciate you, pal. All right. Ian Mendez, senior writer for The Athletic. Um, Now, is there a tweet uh, coming from Darren Drager and our Elliot Friedman about the possibilities of the five players? Um regarding the salary cap implications to their respective clubs? Yeah, it sounds like the four players on three teams, so that would be the Devils, Flyers, and Flames, uh, could receive cap relief for those players being gone. Which, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are well, on that. I mean, it's huge for the Philadelphia Flyers, who have just lost $6 million on Carter Hart. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's their number. I don't know if it would be the whole thing or... Well, that's just it. Are we talking about some cap relief, all of it? Does it just get... It would have to be all of it. Simply... It'd, it'd be weird to do any portion of yeah. it. It's either off or it's not. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So, I mean, we're talking about a significant amount of money that they would have to now go and shop for a goalie if they if they have any aspirations of trying to make the playoffs. Yeah, his cap hit this year is 3.9. Yeah, 4.9. Yeah. Four million? Yeah. Okay, that's not bad. That's yeah. it's not six. Mm-hmm. Cap friendly has him listed as non roster. Yeah. Just non roster, yeah. not so I don't yeah. know. Now the only thing I, I think I mean it feels like that's kind of the right move in this scenario to to give those teams relief. No? Like I I, 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 I don't I don't necessarily agree. You don't think so? Well, I mean Well, I guess they probably where, where's it's hard, it's where's hard to know. like where's the line that uh on cap relief? Cap relief in my understanding, is just written on injuries. Yeah. So it gets a little dicey, guys. On Are you what... worried about setting a precedent in some way? Or Absolutely. Like where, uh, okay, uh, guys being charged, uh, mental wellness. Like where else can you get cap relief? Can we, there's clubs that are going to ask that question. Mm-hmm. And who can, and you know what happens? Let's be honest. They find a little loop, and they'll drive a truck right through it. Mm-hmm. So a team doesn't like that a player is, you know, whatever, not contributing, earning too much, and they're like, "Look, he just needs to." Or something happened off the ice. We're not yeah. happy about. Guy gets pulled over for a DUI. Mm-hmm. Does that qualify for cap relief? Yeah. So I I agree with you, Sammy. I think it's probably the right thing to do right now in this case, but I also see what you're saying, Kip, that it could be. One more thing I'll add to that, that I don't think that the league can just turn around and make this decision on their own. They've got to make sure that I think it's in conjunction with the NHL Players Association. Mm -hmm. This is part of the CBA. This is part of a a salary cap that they're partnered with. I I don't believe that if that's the case on what they're reporting, that it's been stamped and signed off by the NHL Players Association. So keep an eye on that uh, in the in the next few days or coming weeks on on whether or not they, this thing goes through or not. Because if it does, my belief is that it has to include uh, the permission from the 
the PA. Players Association. Makes sense. Yep. And if you missed our interview with Bill Daly on Friday, um, I thought he was really good with us. I thought he gave us a lot of insight. You asked him a lot of really good questions. Um, That, you know, this sort of stuff is interesting to see their decisions there, but also the stuff on expansion, you know, over the All-Star weekend, that's something we haven't Mm -hmm. really got into a ton here. It's just that that seems realistic, not too far down the road. Yeah, I, I... The one thing that stood out again for me from from Commissioner Bettman is that he he's hanging on to Arizona. He is just he like hanging a, around, just hanging around. He it's loves like, to be. He loves Old Town Scott. You know what? He must, eh? He's like a member of True North <laughs> or something. He's like, we gotta stay there. I gotta go there. Yeah, but think about like the times that Edmonton Edmonton could have left. Ottawa could have left. Winnipeg did, but Your he, point he is brought he does them back. For all their teams. What my point is is this guy just does not like what might wrong. be perceived as the easy way out or wrong, like he you hates said. Being wrong. Oh yeah, it's so, a major red. You know, if yeah. you put a franchise somewhere Nick can't stay, it looks bad on Gary and, for sure. And I loved, I loved. You know, I went back and watched some of the stuff after, and I loved his answer about the Georgia thing about Atlanta. He's like, well, if that person was to sell this to you, and just the way that he did it was so vintage Batman, where he just like backhanded told yeah. you exactly what it was but, happening. Yeah. He's like, if they were going to sell this to you, this, da, da, da. I was like, oh my god, this oh guy. Gary's great. He's, he's uh, condescending, demeaning. Yeah, he'll I've, tell you, he'll I've tell grown you. to love his press conference. Listen, I, I'm not fully defending him here, but he's not wrong on Arizona. They just haven't had the right ownership or the right location. You, Hold the phone. What you, do you mean you, he's not wrong in Arizona? You put a team, boys, in Scottsdale, and it's a gold mine. Why then? Have they not got a team in Scottsdale? Because everybody wants a free rink. That's why. Yeah. And if you're a billionaire. Tell Jason Marulo there, whoever the owner is. Alex. I know. Alex. Uh, Jason or Marullo's the son? an artist. No, Jason. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but I thought uh, Marty Walsh, what he said was like, whoa. When he that, said, was, that was Marty Walsh's coming out party. Yeah, Marty, Marty Walsh is I, great. For I got to tell you I right now. I got to tell you. Um, this hey, guy's got it done. He, yes. he went a couple of notches in my books because yeah. we have not heard someone step up like just to well, say, he hey, said this is garbage. I don't basically. care what the reason is. Yeah. It, it might be over lunch. Yeah. But every once in a while, you got to say, I don't like what I'm hearing on the other side. Our, our it's good. It's healthy. Better. It is. And not also to be outdone. He just immediately got under national hockey. This has been a huge issue forever. And it's, you know, it's one of my hobby horses I talk about the show, but like, it's a joke, the lack of international competition. Mm -hmm. And I've always whined about it. It's something I care about deeply, about a ton of Canadians care about deeply, clearly. And it's just like, yep, we're got a four nations face off then two Olympics and world cup. Like he just immediately came in and got it done. He said it was a priority. It's like, you know, politics guy, like he's like, you mean this is the issue? Yeah. yeah it's like, I, I can uh, figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I'll land this plane. Yeah. And he did. No, it's good. So give him credit. And then he's burying the coyotes. I'm like, yes, Marty. <laughs> Let's go. Get Marty on the show. Oh, I would love to get Marty on the show. Uh, we did hear from Commissioner Daly where he's not quite in agreement that the PA's been left out. He did. Well, I thought that was, I thought Daly was awesome. I enjoyed yeah. having him. I thought that was a bit of an evasive answer by daily because i thought he was saying they have you know when players have complained we have tried to take care of their issues and to me daily is answering the questions like when the guys don't like the temporary dressing room they fix the dressing room i don't think they're addressing the fact that 
the guys don't want to be in Arizona for four years playing in front of 4,000 people and give away tickets. That, to me, is the issue here. It's not they don't like the snacks in the locker room. Yeah. So I think they're they're talking about different items there, personally. Listen, we're not asking um, Marty Walsh and Gary Bettman to turn into Butch Goring and Biz Nasty here. (laughs) We just want a little bit of... Make it interesting for us again. Well, you know, it's funny, though, is you go to Daily, you're like, yeah, you actually pulled out the Marty Walsh quote, and you're like, yeah, Marty Walsh uh, was pretty direct and forthright, yeah. and Daily interrupts you and go, oh, was he? <laughs> you know, like, I wonder how many times he's been I, direct and forthright I already. absolutely loved Bill Daly on the show on yeah. Friday. Thought he was great. Doc Kipper, you grinded I, him a little bit. Well, it was good. I, I tried no, to let Bill I didn't go. Grind no, but him. I, I was like, all right, we got to let him go. And like, Bill and no, hung in there. He was like, no. Yeah, <laughs> he hung in there. It was great. No. Yeah. Anyways. Well, uh, everybody thinks we're going to see Salt Lake City a lot sooner. But, you know, they do want symmetry. They like symmetry. So is it Atlanta? Is it. Mm. He, he mentioned Cincinnati. It was like, but no one's they, talking they, about they, Cincinnati. They couldn't rifle off every email they've received oh, in the last three years. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he's a, just every obscure team. Austin, Batavia, Texas. New York. Yeah, Lexington, Kentucky. Fresno, California. <laughs> this guy Anywhere about? except where hockey's <laughs> most popular. Yeah, not Quebec, not Saskatoon, <laughs> not, yeah, just yeah. put it somewhere strange. Print money anywhere in Canada, but let's make America. Yeah, well, All right. Just two games on tap while the rest of the league continues to sober up. (laughs) I got to say, I woke up today on Monday and I was like, God, I'm glad I don't do that anymore. Good. I'm glad. (laughs) Talk me into it, too. There's a two-day hangover. I feel that. Our thanks to Butch Goring in the first hour. Claude Julian, one of the winningest coaches in NHL history. And Ian Mendez. Scoring with the line of the day when he says he doesn't know if the Islanders are world beaters or egg beaters. <laughs> Not a bad one. Yeah. Enjoy your two games tonight, and we're back tomorrow on the Real Kipper and Bourne Show.